Good morning. Welcome everyone on this rainy July. Good morning. Whoa, that's loud. Hello. We're going to play gaga ball. Is that a gaga pit? I don't know what to do with that, but I would not know. I wouldn't have a, the first clue as to how to play that. You're winning? Are you fast? Are you fast? I am slow. Like, in my mind, I'm brilliant. My body, my body's like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> no, no, my body's like, oh, yeah. We did, yeah, my oldest daughter, she wanted us, we were on vacation, she wanted us to do a push-up challenge. So I got to do girl push-ups at least. She did regular ones. She's a beast. She did 50, just banged them out. Yeah. No, Lainey. Yeah, Lainey. Oh, yeah, Lainey's a, yeah. Oh, there's nothing dainty about Lainey. Lainey is, she, she is, well, she's little, but she's strong. So, and I'm really, uh, really sore. Yeah, I did 50 girl ones. I know, but they were girl push-ups. Come on, let's, let's not, let's not get, I don't know, I don't know, no, it's not. I could do two regular ones. Okay, we're going to get started this morning. Anybody have any praise reports, prayer requests as we get going? I forgot my Bible, so it's all up in the air today, right? Let's just open in prayer. That's right. God is good. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you today, God. We love you, Lord. God, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, and ask, Lord, that you would bring revelation knowledge. God, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, Lord God. I pray right now, Lord God, that you would just move into the secret space of our heart, Lord God, and that you would endow us, Lord God, with the ability to receive from you. I ask, Lord God, that you would galvanize your word in our heart. Let our ears, Lord God, be receptive to your voice today, Lord God. Give us revelation in your word. We thank you for this day and ask that you would be with us, that you would guide us, that you would go with us. We pray for our families, Lord God, that you would be with them, Lord, and that every need that is represented here, Lord God, I pray that you would minister, Holy Spirit, and speak your voice of comfort and cheer, God, and promise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to go to Revelation. We're going to finish up on Revelation 7. As we talked about last week, we, what's the deal with the seal? And I talked about the seal of God and how that throughout several places in the New Testament, you'll remember that we saw that we are sealed unto the day of redemption. That my question to God was, as I looked at the 144,000 that were sealed, and they were it's 12,000 from each tribe, excluding the tribe of Dan. You ask me, why do they exclude the tribe of Dan? I have one answer. I don't know. There's lots of hypotheses out there. You can just search that out on your own. But to me, the things like that, if we get, if we get hung up in those things in Revelation, I think they, we begin to exploit those things and we miss the totality of the book. You know, And there may be some really deep revelation there, but we shouldn't expense those little trivial things for the, the whole panoply of the revelation. And now, as I, was, as I was looking this morning, I, I went to um, YouTube and I was trying to find something. I always listen to something while I'm getting ready. And it was so funny. I saw, because of course, whatever I search, then, you know, it get the algorithms, it starts feeding you what you have. So I get all kinds of stuff on spiritualism and everything. And I don't know why it always wants me to take a test to see if I'm gay, but that's beside the point. So I have no idea what that means. I can't get it to go away. But anyway... 
this, I saw this. Now, you won't be able to see this, but this is one of the, the, the potential things for me to watch this morning. And it's, entitled, it's a Christian. It's from Grace Digital Network. I don't know who they are. But this is the title. The devil's final plan for the last days is unfolding before our eyes. And I said, and I thought, and I, this, that, that, it, that brings up my point here exactly. Whose last plan was it? Really? The devil's last plan. See, you don't catch that. We are so programmed. See, most of you, I read that and you went, yeah, that's right, that's right. That sounds good to me. It's probably true. He's working hard. And what we, what we inadvertently do there is we elevate the devil put him in the driver's seat, give him a full tank of gas and the keys. And we say, come on, buddy, take us on. Is that not true? And so that's how everything is often crafted in end time studies is that the devil is running the show and God is coming in trying to work interference, trying to stop the plan. Or, you know, and, and that's, that's wrong mentality. If we start from that wrong mentality, we end up in a ditch of confusion with regard to Revelation. The reality is, is this. When we look back at the very first page of Revelation, and Jesus, it says in the very first line, before even, I think it's chapter 1 and 3, it says the Revelation of Jesus given to him from his father. So who is, who is this ultimately? Who's in control of all of the information? It's God. Devil is, the devil, Satan, is not the dragon, the antichrist. He's not running the show. He's not. And so there's this weird dichotomy that goes on, and I feel it too, of this tension of what do we do as Christians to resist the Antichrist system and at the same time know that the Antichrist system is coming full force and it's the plan of the ages. Do you all see? There's a tension there, isn't there? Now, do I have the answer for what to do? Of course, we don't just, we don't just go full bore into the Antichrist system. We stand up as the church and we, we, we work and, and we, we live as those of the light. But at the same time, we don't turn over all the controls and think, oh, the devil's in charge of this whole thing. I hope we make it through. And so what we see at this, at this ceiling of the 144,000, and they, they're Jews. As I begin to look at that, it's 12,000 from the tribes. Now... 12,000, anytime you see something repetitive like that, 12,000 from Judah, 12,000 from Levi, 12,000 from Dan, not Dan, we already said that, 12,000 from Reuben, 12,000 from Asher, 12,000 from Zebulun, 12,000 from Issachar. So y'all are already like, okay, we get it. See, the repetitiveness of there is to tell us probably that this is a 12,000 meaning we see 12. Where's 12 come in? Name all your 12s in the Bible. Okay, disciples, but they weren't the first 12 to show up, were they? 12 tribes. So we have the 12 tribes of Israel. We have the 12 disciples in the New Testament. So we know that 12 then is a governing number. 
that it's, it's a number from God and it's a governing number. And so what we're looking at here, we know that this is the Lord most likely communicating a remnant to be saved. From where? Israel. There's going to be, now, if you go to Israel today, how many Christians, Jesus-believing Jews, do you think there are? Not 12. 20,000. Ish. See? <laughs> so, as we see in, in Israel, are they a Christian nation? Are they a covenant nation? Ah. Are they God's chosen people? Will a remnant be saved? That's why we've got them sealed. There, it's it's sealed. It's it's as it's as good as done. Now, many many false religions and cults have jumped on this hundred and forty four thousand. The Jehovah's Witnesses are knocking doors this day, probably. They'll go to church first, and then they will knock doors. Why? They're trying to get a part to be a part of this chapter seven, the great multitude. Now they believe the hundred and forty-four thousand has already been sealed up. They don't recognize the Jews at all. They, it's, it's irrelevant. But then they're knocking doors because they're concerned with your salvation. Not so much, mm -mm. because they're trying to do enough good to be a part. Of the remnant that are saved. Yeah, they're going because they're they're trying because it shows. Then it goes on to say in chapter seven, there's a great. Behold, I turned around and saw a great multitude. So they they inspire their followers by telling them, if you don't go knock doors and witness, then you won't be in the great multitude, and all the judgments that are poured out are going to be yours. It's a fear-based religion. And then you have the Mormons. Just was in Utah. You have the Mormons who they don't believe that Jesus was divine. They believe that he was a man who worked, did enough good deeds to become a god. And that you then, if you work hard enough and you're good enough, I mean, if you want to have a good neighbor, I mean, have a Mormon as your neighbor. You know, it's like they're going to be doing good stuff. Why? Because they want to achieve godhood. We went to the Hoka store in St. George. It's a 65% Mormon town, so clean. I mean, man, I mean, it's like, it felt like, it was idyllic. I mean, it was the most idyllic town ever. I mean, every person was like squeaky clean. And you go in and it's like, hello, I, I would love to live. I mean, this is, I could benefit from y'all's cult. I love clean things. And so we went in and at the Hoka store, um, Jacob was trying on some shoes and he had these socks on that had a hole in the bottom of them this big. And so my son-in-law, Mike, 
he, he's like, what is wrong with you with those socks? He told the sales lady, he was like, do you see his socks? They're terrible. Who would wear these? Do you sell socks in here? Can we get this guy some socks? You know, just going on and on. Before we left, the woman, the cashier at the Hoka store gave Jacob two pair of $25 socks. Gave them to him. I walked out and I said, she's one notch closer. Godhood. But you know, see, that's a cult. And it's all centered around the end of the world. And so many of us, many times, our religious practices are not far from that. We do things to be good. It's works because we're trying to achieve something through works. And we feel like we have to work hard enough so that we, in fear, don't get punished. You're like, well, isn't that the gospel? Not at all. Not at all. The gospel is we are saved by the blood of Jesus because he did the full work on the cross and that through that redemptive work, we receive him through faith. And faith, we respond to God in faith and then that opens the door to us. God responds to us in grace and grace then becomes the very ability to do what God has called us to do. We do the work by grace, but faith was a gift, right? Grace was a gift. So what is the work? Your ability to work, what is that? A gift, not by works, least any man should boast. So at the end of it all, we take the totality that has been, we've been brought in by faith, the initiator, and we say, Lord, all of the achievement belongs to you. And that's how, that's the gospel. But so we see Revelation here. There's a great multitude. And now I want to, I want to go on. We, we finish up chapter, chapter 7, and then we'll move into, I'm going to go fast through 8 and 9 this morning. We start right now what is known as the, I would call it the ominous seventh seal. And so when we pick up 8 and 9, It would be great if I had my Bible, but I don't, so I'm going to read this. When the Lamb, who, oh, wait, I I thought for sure that would say when the devil opened the seventh seal. I thought this was his plan. No. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And now what's funny to notice, the Lamb is still opening the seals, right? This is still, when the lamb is still opening the seals, it's still speaking of his worth. Who is worthy to open the seals? The seals indicate the worth of Jesus to actually undo the, the whole, the, the, what's it called? The lease of the earth. Because what is all creation calling out for right now? Redemption, the manifestation, how's that going to be accomplished according to Romans 8? The manifestation of the sons of God. When you are manifested as a son of God, daughters implied, don't get worried. When you are manifested as a son of God, what would that be exactly? When you're the mortal puts on immortality. When 
we, Paul said this, it's not, I'm not, he said it kind of like this, this is Andrea paraphrase, I'm not real sure, there's John maybe said this, I'm not sure what we're going to be. But when we see him, we're going to be like him. Whatever he's like right now, Tommy, whatever he's like right now, as he is right now, so are we in this world. Now you say, wait a minute, I'm not glowing. No, you're not glowing. But as he he is seated where? At the right hand of the Father, forever making intercession for us. As he is, is he righteous right now? So are you. Is he above all principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in every place of wickedness? So are you. Is he exalted and victorious over every foe, including death? Congratulations. So are you. Is he free from anxiety and fear? So are you. See, you don't know the information, and so you receive the anxiety and fear, and you live according to its report. I go to Isaiah and ask you, whose report will you believe? That's his report is that we are saved, we are healed, we are delivered, we are victorious. You say, yeah, Andrew, but the world is full. It's going to hell in a handbasket. Yes, but when you get your mind set in your ultimate victory, then this, I'm going to teach it, may not be a new word for y'all, may be a new word for some of you. When the ultimate victory is us resurrected and seated with Christ, right? As he is, when we see him, we will be like him. What all creation is longing for, the manifestation of those resurrected, glorified sons of God. As That's the ultimate. We are right now in what's called the panultimate. The panultimate, P-A-N-U-L-T-I-M-A-T-E. Panultimate. What does panultimate mean? It means that which is before the final. It's the, the step before the last step. The penultimate. This is, we live in the day of the penultimate. Jesus, when he, did, when he left the Mount of Olives, he says, he told them to go to the upper room and be endued with power from where? Ah, we've got to stop settling for down low power. Down low. What is down low power? You, it's all your human effort and works, all everything you can do. Your good reasoning skills, your ability to perform, your ability to earn and get a job and, and raise children and figure it out and do algebra or not, spell or not. We had a spelling bee while we were gone. My kids are crazy. I was like, what do y'all want to do? Play a game? We played Trivial Pursuit. That went down like, I mean, we're like, we got a few right, actually. Me and Mike, I think, actually won, didn't we? We were penultimate, weren't we? So they said, I said, what do you want to do? And my daughter-in-law, Julia, she said, let's have a spelling bee. <laughs> okay, this is going to be fun. So I pulled up, spelling bee, and all my kids, I lied, they're all like, who wants to do a spelling bee? I, you, I thought they wouldn't do it. They're all like, me, I want to do it, I want to do it. And I was like, what level of words do you want me to do? 
fifth grade. <laughs> wow. So we started at fifth grade. I've never laughed so hard. If you want to have a comedy show, we could come in here and have a spelling bee with adults. I've never laughed so hard in all of my life as to watch my college-educated adult children try to spell words. I don't know what I got up. What was I talking about? That meant something when I was saying it. I have no idea. I'll be able to spell when I'm glory. Oh, your own strength. Down low power. I don't know what. You may be the most talented, the most beautiful, the most successful, but all of that is down low power. Down low. It's power. It's just down low power. Money, down low power. Jesus said, none of the down low power, earthly power, earthly wisdom is going to cut it. You're going to have to go and be endued, clothed with power from on high. And so we see that, that we are not defeated. We're not afraid. We're not afraid. Should the Lord come and rapture us tomorrow? Should that be his plan? Or should we go through the totality of, the, of all of Revelation and when the seventh trumpet sounds, you know, that's called the last trump. Just food for thought, y'all. When the last trump, when the trump of God shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise. The seventh trumpet's the last trumpet. Should you go all the way through Revelation to that seventh trump? I want you to be as confident as the children of Israel were in Egypt when the plagues are being poured out against them. And it says there was darkness in the land of Egypt. But what was there in the land of Goshen? There was light. So can God make a distinction? Yes, he can. So let's go to Exodus 12. I know I said we were going to go somewhere else, but... Hey, this is my message. Exodus 12. I want to show you all that. The distinction. Exodus 12, 12 and 13. Listen to this. For I will pass through the land of Egypt at night. When will he pass through? At night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Who's speaking here? Who's the I in this passage? God. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. What's he going to execute? Judgments. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. How many of y'all believe the blood is powerful enough? Exactly. That's the seal, is the blood. That's, that's the deal right there. So who gets the glory? Who put, who put the seal? Who provided the blood for the seal? 
You think that you're going to get something because you're so good? Let's look at, let's look at Exodus 11 and 7. Now, I love this one because I don't, well, I, I don't mind dogs, but I don't like growling, biting, mean, turdy dogs. You know what I'm talking about. 11.7, but not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel. Not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man nor beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. I mean, that's the reality of, the, of God's covenant. Now, if you've got some, I don't know, cheap, watered-down, lackluster covenant based on your level of participation because you don't know you're trying to you know hedge your bets what do I mean by that you know you're you're living in the world and trying to make it in the world with worldly wisdom and you're kind of hanging on to the church a little bit one hand at a time you know I'm talking about people who you can find them anywhere you couldn't tell they are Christians and camouflaged you know I'm talking about you live with them. You work. I mean, you go to work with a person, and, and you find out after you work with them for three years that they're actually a Christian. You're like, what? I didn't know you were a Christian. Never could tell. You know what I'm talking about? You're just in camouflage, just blending in. That's the person trying to play it both ways. And, and you've got a lot of people who are like, you know, we'll, kinda, we'll get right when it need, we need to get right. You won't. Today's the day to get right if you think that any getting right needs to be done still. So we have heavy parallels with the trumpet judgments. Now we're going to go into the trumpet judgments, the trumpet judgments and the plagues of Egypt. See, the seals talk about the worth of Christ. And then you move into the trumpet judgments. How many trumpet judgments are there? How many seals are there? So I told you all last week, I feel like everything is culminating in the seventh. It's coming up. And so as you go back and start reading that and you start paralleling it all, it starts to show. But you're like, well, why the second set? Why are the seals one set? And why are the judgments another set? And why are the bowls another set? I think it speaks of the redemptive work of Christ. See, the seals speak of his worth. I looked all through earth and no one was worthy. What makes Jesus worthy? There's a few things. He was a, he created it all, but that would make a lot, that would, and that, that would, he, he, he took upon our sins and he paid, he became a man. He became a man. See, that's what John was looking for. He's looking all over. He looked at Adam. He couldn't find anybody who was worthy. His eyes stopped at Adam. Then he stopped at Noah. He's, he's a good candidate, right? Oh, except for that getting drunk and getting naked. Everybody in the Bible, when they get drunk, they get naked, don't they? I think that's what happens in the world, too. You keep going. And then you keep looking, and you've got, you got Abraham. Oh, no. He lied a couple of times about it. You know what I mean? He wouldn't. Then you move on, and you're looking, and you're David. Oh, keep moving. Right, I mean, who's worthy? 
None are worthy, all the kings of Judah, all the kings of Israel, but Jesus is worthy. And so all the seals speak of his worth. But now we're into judgments. And judgments are what are handed down. I don't know how many of you have ever been to court. And at the final, what do they hand down? You go through, and what does the judge do? They render the, the judgment. And they tell you how it's going to be, don't they? And it's finished at that point, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's finished. You're right. But at that point, whatever it is, where they sentence you to, right? And so, now, has your sentence been carried out? No. See, what's coming next is the punishment, the bowls of wrath. See, now that's the punishment phase. See, judgment is the handing down of the verdict. We're handing down the verdict to who? All humanity. All that are outside of the blood of Jesus. All that are not sealed. All that are not redeemed. All liars. All fornicators. All those who practice witchcraft. All idolaters. I'm just quoting Revelation, I think, 19. They all have their part where? In the lake of fire. So we're handing down the verdict. So we have the seals speak of the worth of Jesus, and he's opening them up. Then we move and we, we, we adjust the lens. It's like a kaleidoscope. That's how revelation is. How many of you have ever looked at through a kaleidoscope? You take light, revelation, light, and you hold it up and you adjust the pieces of fragmented glass inside there, right? And it, it rearranges differently, and you see a different image. And then you turn it again. Now, is it different pieces of glass? It's just when the light is cast through it, it's arranged differently to show you a different mosaic portrait of what's contained inside. That's how the book of Revelation is. It's fragments, all of the same thing. And when you take the light, you adjust it, and you see it through a new image. So that's what the trumpet judgments are. As we're beginning to see the judgments given, now let's begin reading. And when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, the structure starts to emerge in Revelation. Four seals are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So it's four, three. Three are totally different than the four. And there's a pause between the sixth and the seventh. The Bible's big on structure. Then we get to the judgments. The first four judgments are a group. And then the last three judgments are a group because the last three judgments have woes attached to them. So it's a four-three group. And then there's a pause between the sixth trumpet and the seventh. So you see, they lay over one another. So we're supposed to get that parallel so we understand we're looking at a parallel structure here. So as we begin reading in chapter 7, and this is perfectly, this is normal for what's called apocalyptic ancient writing. Apocalyptic means revealing writing, revealing things that are, un, that are concealed. So when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God. Seven angels. These are, these are considered to be, most theologians think these are the seven archangels. And seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. 
And he was given much, much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and earthquake. What's amazing here is all of this gets going because there's a, there's a catalyst. That's the word. In chemistry, you have a catalyst, right? I'm not a chemist, but I know enough to know this part. What does a catalyst do? It starts something in the chemical reaction, right? So we have here, we have, we have the altar of incense, and we have, so we have fire, we have incense, and what else do we have? Prayers. And they all, and see, when the prayers are added from the bowls that are in, in the throne room of God, they're added to the incense on the altar. The priest, the angel is acting as a priest, takes it and puts it in a censer. How many of y'all know a censer is? Ooh, it's like if you've ever been to a Lutheran church. I went to a Lutheran funeral. I was like, it was scary. They were in robes and they were swinging a censer, weren't they, Mike? Smoke was filling everything. I was like, what are y'all doing? Felt like I was in some, is this Satan worship? <laughs> That's what it looked like to me. I've never been to one. I mean, it was weird. You know, they're holding this censer and they're swinging it and they're walking down the aisle and they're going, oh, I was doing this. So he takes this censer and he feels it. And then what does he do with the censer? Throws it to the earth. So what's amazing here is the catalyst for all the things that are beginning to unfold on the earth. What is the catalyst? Prayers of the saints. Why would the prayers of the saints be asking for judgment? Well, let's go back and look. We already have the answer to this. It's in Revelation 5. Revelation 5, if I had my Bible, this would be so easy down worthy that's not true it's revelation it is five it's seal five we got to go six seven seals when he opened the third that's a that's apocalypse the fifth oh see this is a change this is a change we have the four horses of the apocalypse and the fifth seal is different from the first four because this is the three that are alike and when he opened the fifth seal i saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of god and for the witness that they had borne they cried out with a loud voice. Where they cry? It's a prayer. Oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The martyrs. Who are these martyrs? Do I? That's true. How many martyrs are crying out right now? Do you know what century has produced more martyrs than any other century in all time from the church forward? Do y'all know? 20th, this right here. 21st, when 21st, right now. Right now, there are more martyrs for Christ than any other time in history. No joke. See, you're like, that can't be true. It can't be true for you because you live in America. But this morning in Iran, 
hearts later there. As they gather for church, they don't stay home because maybe a few drops of rain fell from the sky. They go to church and they risk their lives every time they go to church because somebody might be a mole working for the government and they might turn them in and they will be arrested and they will be tortured and if they're lucky they will die quickly that's their prayer give us a quick death now how many remember Matthew Salazar who came here what's his name oh can't say it sorry I think I said his name wrong I can't say it because it's 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 um they monitor. So a man who, he was a Christian, and he went to a house church. Now they won't even have to show this. If this, I can tell them not to put it online. He went to a house church invited in Iran, in Tehran. He was a Muslim. He was, seeking, he was searching, thought, is Muslim the, really the right way? So he went to a house church, went one time. One time, they raided the house church. They collected them all. They tortured him. He was here. He showed pictures of the burns on his back, scars all on his back. Tortured him to deny Christ. And he's like, I haven't even accepted Christ. He got in the cell. He's in the cell being tortured at night. And he said, God, Jesus, I don't even know if I am a Christian he said, will you reveal yourself to me? And the power of God was revealed to him. And he accepted the Lord. And when he accepted the Lord, what did he also accept? But what did he also accept? The torture. And ultimately, death. And his wife, who is not a Christian. I mean, could you imagine you just send your husband, goes out, and he doesn't even tell you where you're going, and he just doesn't show back up, and you don't know where he's at, and she's a devout Muslim, and she doesn't know. And here he is being tortured. He got arrested the very first time he goes to church, and here he's tortured. She can't find him. They spend all their money. They finally get him. They find where he's at. They get him out of jail. They pay. They, they bribe the guards to get him out of jail. They get him out. Now they have to flee the country. And he tells her, he's like, he's like I became a Christian. She's like, what? So he witnesses to her, and she receives the Lord and now they have to flee they're fleeing the country they've got past they're trying to get to China and she is she's got a crippled back and so she's running she said I remember I was running Matthew's in front of me and I'm running across the runway and I've received Christ and I I know that we're gonna die and my back is hurting and I can barely walk and I said Jesus you've got to help me and she said the Lord instantly healed my back totally healed my back and I just took off running she said, I've never had back pain ever again they are now when you support missions in this church when you support monthly missions in this church you support this you support that family when you give every month we get we support them we give to them and where are they at right now they are in a city in Texas and there is a huge Iranian population in Texas. What are they here for? They're asylum seekers. And they're Muslims. And they go in and they witness to them. And they share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. 
Now see, isn't that amazing? See, that's what goes on around the world. And as we sit by and we, we safely cuddle up in our culture, and we think it'll always be just like it is. It's slowly, your freedoms are slowly being eroded from you right now as legislation. It's either being passed or trying to be passed to make it criminal to share the gospel, to try and teach a homosexual, a lesbian that there is an actual alternative. So you've got to be able to relearn the English language I mean, how many of you, when you, you've been taught pronouns and you're pretty firm on them, you know what I mean? You just autom- you don't stop and think about seeing a man and call him a he. You use the he, she, right? I mean, you, and if you get turned in for that, using a wrong pronoun. A felony? A felony? Now, you say, that is cr- what, what's happening? What's happening? Erosion. Erosion, slowly eroding the freedoms that we have. So what will happen then? What happens then? Eventually, over time, as the freedoms are eroded, then the church actually has to start paying a toll, so to speak. The toll of persecution for being a Christian. You either have to start marching to the drum of culture or you have to rise up in some strength and you have to stand even if it means punishment. Now, many of us say, no, 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 this is American. No, God would never allow us to suffer. Tell that. Tell that to the Christians who Nero used as lamps for the streets. He impaled them, and he lit them on fire, and he illuminated the city through the burning corpses of the Christians. Tell that to John, who is the author of this great book of Revelation, as he has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos for his witness, because only after um, Domitian, I think it is, he tried to boil him in oil, and it didn't kill him. Now, I believe the reason that Domitian didn't then behead him is because John didn't die from being boiled in oil. Being boiled in oil was supposed to kill you. It wasn't supposed to be some sort of a skin treatment. But they pulled him out of the vat of oil and he was still alive. There was a story, a lore around John. And what was it? That he would never die. Because Jesus told him that we talked to Peter. He said, what is it to you, Peter, if John remains until I come? So many in the early church thought that was a promise 
from Jesus that John couldn't die. That story about John went far and wide. Now, if you're a Roman emperor and you think that you're a total megalomaniac and you think that you're God incarnate and deserve to be worshipped, and you know this story about this guy who can't die, and you're like, I'll show him he can die. And you go with the torture that is the worst form, and you boil him and you drop him in a vat of hot oil, and you pull him out, and he's not dead. What do you do? You go, why don't you then, if you want to kill a person, what's a surefire way to do it? Head off. No one comes back after their head's been chopped off, right? So, but if you think that maybe he can't die, and you go and you try to chop his head off and that doesn't work, what's going to happen? Everybody's going to worship John. And you are, as a byproduct, going to completely undermine your leadership. So after you boiled this guy in oil and he doesn't die, I just got to get rid of him. Put him on Patmos. That's where the revelation came. And so here we are. He wasn't, he wasn't saved from that. So when I give you this, I want you to understand the context in which Revelation is written. So as we move on, the fifth seal, we saw that. Now we're back to Revelation 8, the golden censer. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Judgment's fixing to go out because prayer. They said, God, judge, judge, judge this earth. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. Now what we're going to see here is you're going to, we could, if I had my Bible, I would be able to give you the scripture references, but I don't have them. But go back and read the plagues of Egypt. How many of you can name me the 10 plagues of Egypt? Well, I couldn't either, so I had to put them in my notes. Blood, frogs, gnats, flies, it, gnats may be lice too, it, so dead livestock, Boils, hell, locusts, darkness, and death. Now, as I read these seals, you're going to find them almost all again, except for flies and lice. See, the parallel is Egypt. This is the plagues. It's suppo- what do, at, why were the plagues sent in Egypt? He challenged every false God. This judgment that's coming on the world is going to be against every false deity, everything that people worship. Number one, can I tell y'all what the number one is going to be? Money. Economic systems are going to collapse. Already, how many of y'all follow the collapse of the dollar? Why? I, I started. I was. I was so. I was so angry about all of this and the whole homosexual agenda. And I was just like, God, I don't understand. I don't understand, God. What's going on? Why? Because George Soros just turned over his his whole empire to his son Alexander. You may see that. I looked up. See, y'all need to follow this. It's pertinent. It's happening all around you. 
the love of money. But you'll find out what you love when you don't have it. You'll find out how easy, you'll say, well, I don't love it. You'll find it out when you're asked to give it or don't have it. We all know. So George Soros turned over his empire to his son Alexander. Alexander said, my father wasn't very political. What? If you don't know about George Soros funds the Democratic camp, um, candidates, funds them single-handedly. He said, my father wasn't very political. I will be much more political. That's, I was like, what? He said, I will be giving, I will be lobbying, and I will be supporting LGBTQ2, 2A++, whatever, I don't know. I will be funding all liberal agendas. I will be funding all of these things. He openly said it. I looked it up. I thought, who is this guy? I just pictured him having blue hair, being part male and part female. You know what I mean? I, I mean, this alternative-looking dude, I, I don't know, like looking, I, I pulled him up. He looks like a nerdy businessman. Suit, buttoned up, little glasses, little... I'm like, what's the deal? You know what I mean? He didn't fit what I'm looking at, like the, the, the template for what's going on. Why is he so all fired up on supporting the lesbian? He's not gay himself. He's not, you know, none of these things himself. I was like, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. And it's instantly I felt the Spirit of the Lord speak to me. He said, this is the undermining of American, of world, not just world, but America is, this is poor America, of civilization. Because when you can erode the family structure, the family is man and a woman, having children, creating a home. That is the structure of any civilization. And so when they go at the lesbian and gay agenda is a direct attack on the pylons of the family structure in the world. And his sights are on America because if you can pull down America, you can pull down the world. But you say, why would he want to pull down America? He is an American. Why? Because when the whole structure goes down, they are positioned in the World Economic Forum, they're on top. You'll own nothing and be happy. Some of you say, I don't want to hear any of this, Andrea. This is what you're, you'll be living it. You'll own nothing and be happy. What does that mean? I'll own nothing and be happy. That somebody will own everything. You're living in a house you don't own. And you're getting to live there for free. And you're working, you're paying the toll. Who owns the house you live in? It's not you. Who owns the car you drive? Somebody owns everything. And the person who owns everything controls the shots. This is socialism. How many have ever studied socialism? It does not work. It's like an oscillating fan on a 115-degree day. It's oscillating. Oscillating through a crowd. How's that like socialism? Everybody gets a little but nobody gets enough. That's how it works. 
And how do you implement, you're like, Andrea, this is too political. How do you implement socialism? Well, if you study Marxism, you know. Marxism, you create a divide. In, Mar in, in Marxism, in the Bolshevik rebellion, what they did is they have the haves and the have-nots. All we got to do is get the haves and the have-nots warring against each other. That's all you got to have. It doesn't, you don't have to have the haves and the have-nots. You can employ like this. You can put race. Just create a division and let them fight until all-out anarchy ensues and everything is destroyed. And then someone who has all the answers steps in and goes, y'all are just going to have to stop. Currency's completely gone. It's all done. You're like, this is terrible. We're American. Guys, I hate to burst your bubble, but this is happening faster than you can imagine. I just bought my coffee yesterday. I paid $14 for Folgers. How many of you have noticed going to the grocery store and for two bags of groceries you pay $100? How many of you got that? How much? How many of you got a raise that covered that? Oh uh, yeah. So every morning that you wake up and your foot hits the floor and you clock in at work, you make less money than you did the day before. Now you say, no, this is. See, I know. I know some of you are like, yes, but Andrea, yes, but Andrea, yes, but Andrea, and yes. They that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. There's the seal of the Lord, but here's the reality. Do you have a plan for standing when it gets tough? Does your commitment that you have for the Lord today, does your level of commitment have enough commitment that you could stand even when it's not convenient? That's the question. Do you have a plan to stand when it costs you something? You know what China's been praying for America for years? This will encourage you. Send them persecution. They're too soft. <laughs> well, uh, could you please... Ixnay on the whatever, persecution A. I don't know how to say that. So that, you know, some of you are like, Andrew, I came to church to be built up. I tell you this because there will be light in the land of Goshen. But if you read the story of the Exodus, before the children of Israel were set free, Pharaoh said, build, he said, make bricks without straw. They had to go get, used to, they used to get their straw given to them to make bricks. Now they had to add the same, to the same quotient of bricks they had to make, they had to add gathering the straw. And you know what they said? Moses, get out of here. Moses, what are you doing to us? We're going to get to the two witnesses who prophesy in Jerusalem for 42 months, and they have the power to unleash plagues. I feel as though they are. See, we have the unseen angels. You don't see them blowing trumpets, do you? How many of y'all see angels blowing trumpets this morning? If you do, 
Let me know. Probably don't. But what we're going to see is, is we are going to see two witnesses on earth from Jerusalem who have, they, they announce drought and they, they announce plagues. Who are the two witnesses who announce drought and announce plagues? Elijah and? No. No. When Jesus went up on the Mount of Olives and he said, the two olive branches that are standing before in Zechariah, the two olive branches that are standing before the candlestick, it says are the two witnesses. When Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration and he glorified, he transfigured, two men showed up on his sides. And who were they? Moses and Elijah. Those will be your two witnesses. Elijah, we don't have Enoch didn't call, Enoch, uh, Elijah called for drought. Moses announced plagues. And it says that as these men are calling for drought and announcing plague and they're breathing fire, they're just, I mean, can you imagine those kind of signs going on? The whole world will hate them. They will say they're responsible for this. And the Antichrist will kill them. And he will leave their dead bodies in the streets of Jerusalem for three days. And while that three days is going on, what's the world doing? They're celebrating. They're sending gifts one to another like Christmas because they're dead. And after three and a half days, their bodies will come to life and they will see them ascend. So, I mean, I tell you all this, and like, this is crazy. This is just the Word of God. I mean, this is, this is the Word of God. And we see the judgments, and we'll go through that next time. Look through there. Read chapters 8 and 9 and count how many times you see the Word. And a third, and a third, and a third, and a third, and a third. It uses the word a third 12 times. A third of the trees were killed, a third of the grass, a third of the marine life, a third of mankind, a third of this. A th everything's a third. I will just give you a hint. Three is the Trinity, right? It's a number of God. So one-third is 33 and a third, right? It's one-third of it. When you see a third like that, it's indicating that a remnant is being judged. A remnant is being judged. So why is God, ju he's judging in remnants. Why is he judging in remnants? So people will call out. He could just wipe it out at one time. He's merciful because a, a natural, natural suffering is nothing compared to eternal suffering. And also, a third of the angels fell. We see a third of the angels maybe being indication of, a, of, of the reason, for, part of the reason for the trouble in the world today, and God's judging in thirds. Yes, Andy?
Yes. You do. And you start to see that the God in Genesis is the God in Revelation. That is it. If you can't look at Revelation and look through the rest of the Word of God, especially, you better stick off, you better start off in Exodus because that's your key to understanding Revelation. That's right. And He's going to come. He's coming again. Right. It all goes together and it closes it all up. So hopefully I didn't destroy your confidence in American society but it's a reality. I mean, surely, surely you've seen. I mean, how many of you saw the, the, the transgender topless at the White House? What? What do y'all watch? What are y'all even aware of? I don't watch TV either, but I, I at least check the headlines so I'm not like stuck with my head in the sand. They had a, you know, they had a, a, a lesbian and gay transgender, you know, day at the White House when they hung the rainbow flag between two American flags on the very front of the White House. Yeah. And then they had a big party. And this woman-ish, no, man, who's become a woman who's had um, her breast augmented, his breast augmented to look like a woman's breast, right? They, I mean, how do you even define this? How do you even define this? You got parts of all kinds. That's all I can say. So on the White House lawn, topless, shaking the faux boobs and going, I'm topless at the White House. That's, that's, our, that's our most sacred place. They just found cocaine in the White House. Yep. There you go. And I don't, and I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to be negative. We, because we're not, we're not of those who shrink back, are we? We're not of those, but it's important to know. So you're not just walking around going, oh, it'll be fine. Wake up. If you're going to do anything, it's time to start preparing now. Amen.